So has God canceled the promises he made to Israel in the Old Testament? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Well, I am super excited to be with you today. We're going to dig into the scriptures momentarily. I think it's going to be eye-opening, really helpful for you. I've got some exciting news about some upcoming debates from March. Eager to share that with you. And a great testimony from a gathering of Jewish ministry leaders and prayer leaders uh, last couple of days in Dallas, Texas, that yielded some, some real breakthroughs, I believe, in terms of prayer for the salvation of the Jewish people. So all that to share with you. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you on this Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Phone lines are open. But your questions have to be Jewish-related for Thoroughly Jewish Thursday, right? So, anything related to Israel, past, present, future, anything related to the Hebrew Bible, Hebrew language, Judaism, Jewish tradition, etc. If it's Jewish-related, by all means, give me a call, 866-348-7884 is the number to call. Okay, I have been interacting with some dear Christian brothers New Testament scholars about, quote, replacement theology, the view that the church has replaced Israel in God's plan of salvation. So in other words, promises that God made to Israel in the Old Testament are fulfilled by the church in the New Testament, but no longer applied to national Israel. It's also called supersessionism, the view that the church has superseded Israel in God's plan of salvation. And both of them say they are not supersessionists. They do not hold to replacement theology. And one seems to be more moderate in terms of trying to see exactly where he stands because he sees arguments on both sides. The other plainly says Jesus is the new Israel. Jesus is the new temple. Jesus is the new promised land. So all the promises that God gave to Israel are fulfilled in Jesus. He said that's not replacement theology. So we've been having friendly, gracious, candid dialogue as brothers about these things. And what I've tried to underscore, and what I want to impress on each of you today, is yes, everything comes through Jesus Yeshua. In in other words, God's eternal plan for the human race, for the universe, comes through Yeshua. And those who are eternally with him in his family will come through Yeshua. All right? We, We understand that. Some with a full consciousness, awareness of everything he's done and who he is. Some say Abraham or the prophets of old who only had limited understanding of what would take place through the Messiah. They believed the message they heard. They followed the revelation they had. They are also coming to God through Jesus Yeshua all the same way. Okay. The the question is, though, when God made promises to the people of Israel, no, they were they were never... 100 percent they were never 100 percent all ethnic descendants of abraham isaac and jacob right a mixed multitude came out of egypt others married in converted in etc so we understand that but the bulk of the people it was a, a physical people these were the descendants of abraham isaac and jacob and god made promises to them and then Under the Sinai Covenant, God said, if you disobey, I will judge you. 
If you continue to disobey, I will exile you from the land. If you repent, I will bring you back to the land. And then just promises from the prophets, because the promise that God gave about the, the land of Israel, the promised land to the children of Israel, was before the Sinai Covenant. And Paul explains in Rome in Galatians 3.17 that the promise is not nullified by the law, which comes 430 years afterwards. All right? So we understand that the promises that God made continued for Israel. The question is, when Jesus came into the world, were those promises confirmed or were they canceled or were they transformed so that the promise that was once given to the nation of Israel is now transformed to say all believers in, in the God of Israel through Jesus and the promises themselves are now all realized in Jesus. Jesus becomes the temple, Jesus becomes the promised land, etc. So I've been trying to impress one brother in particular as we're going back and forth and seeking to get each other to, to understand our positions better, is, is that this is another form of replacement theology. If you say that Jesus is now the promised land or Jesus is now the temple, this is just another form of replacement theology because everything changes, everything shifts. I'll give you an example. I'm going to read from Isaiah 62. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. And then as I scroll down to verse uh, 6, I've appointed watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. If Jerusalem no longer means Jerusalem, if Jerusalem now means the church or the heavenly Jerusalem or whatever, if it, does no, if it no longer means physical Jerusalem, that city of which Isaiah spoke and, and to which the nations will come, in the millennial kingdom, if it no longer means that, if there is not a millennial kingdom with nations coming to Jerusalem, then it is replacement theology. <laughs> Jerusalem got replaced, all right? Jerusalem, the, the, the heart and center of, of the physical nation of Israel and of the dreams and hopes of the generations of the people of Israel, right? That has now been replaced by something else. I remember reading a prayer guide decades ago using these very verses, these very verses, and saying this, we are praying for the church to be the delight of the whole earth. Well, by all means, pray that God would be glorified through his ecclesia, through his messianic congregation, through his church. By all means, pray for that. Absolutely. But, but hang on. Hang on. This, this was spoken about a physical city on the earth with divine purposes. If those have changed, it's another form of replacement theology or supersessionism. And why, pray tell, is Jesus coming back to that Jerusalem if Jerusalem now means something else and there is no salvific, eschatological, end-time significance in Jerusalem? I could give you other examples. Say, when, when God says to Israel, I will scatter you in my anger. Who's he talking about? Who's he ta He's talking about the physical descendants of Israel who have sinned against him. I will scatter you in my anger right? But I will regather you in my mercy. You know, what if Israel doesn't repent? Well, God in his mercy is still promised to, to regather. He's done that at different times in history. If there's national repentance, then it's automatic. He brings them back to the land. But when they came out of 
Babylon, Ezekiel 36, God said, I'm not doing this for you, but my name's being blasphemed. So he, he did it for his sovereign purposes, but not because of national repentance. When he restored the Jewish people to the land in the establishment of the modern state of Israel in 1948, that wasn't because of Israel's righteousness, but because of God's mercy and sovereign purposes. So I was, I was having a dialogue debate with Dr. Gary DeMar some years back about some of these very issues. And I said to him, when it says, I will scatter you in my wrath and regather you in my mercy, Dr. DeMar responded to my question. I said, are you telling me that the scattering was physical, but the regathering is spiritual? That was his position. He felt that was the right biblical position. I mean, that is overtly replacement, as you can imagine. That Okay, you're scattered around the world under divine judgment, right? Because of sin, because of idolatry, because of rejecting the prophets, rejecting the Lord, rejecting the Messiah. You're scattered around the world, around the earth under the judgment of God. And then God says, but I will regather you in my mercy. Oh, it doesn't actually mean back to the land like everyone would have understood and that the prophet fully understood when he was saying it. No, it means something different now. That is the essence of replacement theology of supersessionism. Even if others would say, no, it's fulfillment theology, or no, the ecclesia is the same ecclesia as always, God's people. God's people in the Old Testament, God's people in the New Testament. The problem is that the term kahal in, in Hebrew, ecclesia in Greek, the congregation, in the Old Testament referred to the whole nation, believing and not, referred that the whole nation was the kahal of, of, of God whether they were believers in right relationship or people under his judgment. It was the whole of them. Now it is not just the whole of the physical people of Israel, but all those who believe through Jesus. That is now a change. Or if you go to Jeremiah 31, verses 35 to 37, which follows immediately on the heels of the new covenant prophecy in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34, that God will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. He now says, no matter what, as long as heaven and earth endure, until you can explore the depths of the earth and, and fathom the, the entire universe, as long as sun and moon are, are still in the sky, I will never forsake the people of Israel for all they have done. Oh, but now that means the church. Well, you just changed everything. It now becomes meaningless. It'd be like saying, oh, no, I still believe in the New Testament. Absolutely, except Muhammad is the Messiah. Well, you just changed everything. You, you just it is a fundamental change. I want to read to you from Romans 15, because this is, this is another important passage here. Romans 15. And, and Paul says this. Romans 15, beginning in verse 8. For I tell you that Christ, the Messiah, has become a servant of the Jews, or the circumcision, on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. Not canceled, but confirmed. And one of those promises is the physical land of Israel in God's sovereign will and God's sovereign purpose. Does God love those that identify as Palestinians? Of course he does. Does he care about their well-being? Of course he does. Just as he cares about the well-being of an atheist Jew, right? Or, or an Arab Muslim, or he cares about everybody. He's not a respecter of persons, but he keeps his promises. It's not racial supremacy. You're making God into a racist. No, I'm making God into someone who keeps his promises. It is that simple. So if you take these verses in the Old Testament that had clear meaning, 
not just to give them a spiritual application now, but to fundamentally alter their meaning so they mean something very different than was spoken and intended by the prophets and understood by the people that is another manifestation, another form of replacement theology, supersessionism. So that may be your position, but own it. Own it. All right, we're going to the phones right after the break. Then I'll share some exciting news with you a little bit later in the broadcast. 866-348-7884 is the number to call on this thoroughly Jewish Thursday right here on The Line of Fire. the line of fire with your host dr michael brown get on the line of fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH here again is dr michael brown yes come let's rejoice and be glad in the lord Michael Brown, welcome to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday, 866-348-7884 is the number to call. I want to go over to McKinney, Texas, dear friend and colleague who is one of my chief armor bearers. He and his house of prayer hold this ministry up very, very faithfully week in, week out, the King's House of Prayer. Rui, welcome to the broadcast. Thanks for calling in. Hey, Dr. Brown. God bless you. It's good so, to hear from you. Yeah, so Rui... Uh, how long is it that you've led this house of prayer in Texas? Uh, we're, we're going on our 10 years of day and night prayer and worship, but there's a little history even before that. You know, I started these prayer meetings in my home in 2006. So, you know, I always say it's been about 15 years that I've been leading corporate prayer meetings, but the house of prayer is on its 10th year. Wow. And, and at what point did you get burdened specifically to pray for Israel? You know, Dr. Brown, when I got radically saved in 1998, you know, I, I just had the, the opportunity and privilege to be around ministries that actually had an emphasis on Israel. And, uh, you know, and I wasn't I wasn't raised in a Christian home, so I, I was clueless of even the Bible at that time. But I remember going to conferences about Israel when I lived in Southern California, and the Lord was planting seeds in my heart about the importance of the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. But I would say not until I moved to Dallas, and I really began to, to lock in um, over the scriptures over Israel, and I just began to develop a prayer life for Israel, and it just the burden began to grow as I began to look at the promises of God in the scriptures over Israel, and, uh, and I just began to mobilize more prayer for Israel. And then once I went to the land, it even increased from there, being in the land itself among the people. Um, my burden to pray for them even got bigger and deeper. So if, if you were just boiling it down to, to a minute or to a few sentences, why mm -hmm. is it so important for the whole church to be praying for the salvation of Israel? That's a great question, Dr. Brown. And I would say it's important for the church to pray for Israel because it's important to God. Mm -hmm. You know, I think of Romans 10, verse 1, where Paul says that his desire and prayer— was for Israel to be saved. And, 
you know, I believe that Paul the Apostle carried a deep burden for the salvation of his own people. And also because of Isaiah 62, verse 1, I would say that's one of the most foundational verses in my personal life um, in terms of praying for Israel, because it says there that God does not keep silent for Zion's sake. He doesn't rest for for Jerusalem's sake, um, until her righteousness burns brightly and her salvation burns like a lamb. And then it says in verse 6 of that same chapter that he's going to set watchmen, and they're going to cry out day and night, and they too won't keep silent um, as they make mention of the Lord until Jerusalem is a praise in the earth. And I believe, Dr. Brown, that God is looking for agreement on the earth uh, to pray the promises that God still has for Israel. Many promises have not been fulfilled for Israel, and I believe as we mobilize prayer in the Church, and the Church has an awareness of God's purposes for Israel, and we come into agreement, we're going to see every promise come to pass for that nation and the Mm. people. You know, just moments before you came on, I was just reading some of those verses in Isaiah 62. By the way, everyone Mm. that's on our Israel tour, Rui, Stacy, his wife Stacy. And some of the others from the House of Prayer are going to be joining us. So, so we plan to have some real wonderful prayer times yeah. while we are there uh, on this tour. And, Rui, how does your life intersect with me and my ministry? How far back does that go? <laughs> oh, Dr. Brown, it goes back to 2006. As you know the story, uh, my friend Trent Pruitt was one of my best friends. We used to listen to some of your sermons that you would give during the uh, Brownsville Revival and we were in a season in our walk with the Lord that we were so spiritually hungry, and we just wanted as much of God as we can get. And you were just fueling the flame in our heart back in those days. And we began to read some of your books. And as you know, Dr. Brown, one of the most impactful books in my personal life, next to the Bible, was the book that you wrote in 1989, The End of the, Gospel, or the, End of the American Gospel Enterprise. And that book really gripped my life, and it shaped me who I am today, especially in the place of prayer and and contending for another outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our land. Yeah, and then here, after these years, uh, through our friend Trent, another key spiritual armor bearer, God joins us together. And and friends, if you're listening, this house of prayer really travails and prays for us to to touch you and to be a blessing to you. So this is is a, a real thing that God's brought together. So one, while I've got you on the air, let's just do this quickly. Uh-huh. So you, Stacy Trent, and his wife Amy, were visiting uh, Trent and Amy missionaries in the Philippines, all visiting in the States. We're over in the condo where I stay in Fort Worth, and we went down to the, to the workout room. And by the way, I just, I just did my new chin-up record today. I went from 15, I, I got to 20 now, chin-ups. And wow, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> that's jumped. And so anyway... I was talking about this, these supplements, these health supplements I've been using that we've been talking about a lot this month uh, on the air because it's a let's get healthy thrust. So you went ahead and ordered the nitric oxide and then the mile health, which we've been talking about this week. So it, it's all it, it's pretty new for you. But you wrote me to, uh, last night. Tell me, so what's what's going on? What's actually happened? Because you've been a serious weightlifter for many, many years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I started bodybuilding in my 20s. I was an athlete in high school. And I picked up bodybuilding. Uh, but to be honest, Dr. Brown, it's been you who's inspired me um, just to be well and just to stay healthy. I mean, you're 67 years old, you know, and I have the opportunity and privilege to have several workouts with you. And you pretty much leave me on the dust with your workouts. And I just turned 50 years old. 
And so, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I want to be healthy like Dr. Brown when I'm in my 60s and 70s, 80s. You know, as many years ago, Dr. Brown, where the Lord spoke to me, said, if you don't take care of your body, you're going to miss the revival that you've been praying and fasting for for mm. 15 years. And mm. it was just a real alarm in my life. I was like, I, hey, I don't, I want to be healthy. And so I got to take care of my body. So when that revival comes that we're all longing and praying for, we're going to participate in and be effective and fruitful in it. But yeah, I, I started taking uh, uh, the uh, nitric oxide about two weeks ago. And I, I got I to gotta be honest with you, Dr. Brown, I've been pleasantly surprised of the effects. I mean, a couple of days ago, I went and did my workout and uh, I just did my normal dumbbell workout and uh, I did some arms and some shoulders and I was like, you know what? I'm, I had so much energy. I go, I'm going to do some jump rope and some some uh, jumping jacks. And I couldn't believe the energy I had. <laughs> I mean, literally, I mean, I, I would jump rope maybe 30 seconds, and I'm out of breath. And I was doing it for almost a minute. I just and I, I can I could tell that the supplements are working. And then, of course, as you know, I've been adding the the Myo Health, um, and I'm excited to see the effects of that. Yeah. But I, I mean, I'm immediately I saw results, and I've only been taking it for two weeks. Yeah, and when you add the Mile Health, trust me on this, and the money back guarantee. Well, tell you what, let me let me just play this ad for you. But but trust me, I am amazed by what I've been seeing. I, I just emailed Michael Ellison either. I'm blown away by what I'm seeing. Uh, let's take a listen. Have you had a setback from an injury, accident, or surgery that left you feeling weaker and a loss of strength? Or are you feeling the effects of aging and just don't feel like you have the stamina or energy you used to? Then MyoHealth might be an answer to your prayers. Backed by 24 human clinical studies and over $20 million in government-funded research, MyoHealth contains a perfect balance of all nine essential amino acids. With MyoHealth, you can rebuild your strength improve your balance and mobility have more energy while restoring your health and vitality and start building new lean stronger muscle in as little as 30 days by combining myo health with a healthy diet and regular exercise you can feel stronger at any age have more energy and live a life with vitality put the power of myo health to work for you feel stronger have better balance and improved quality of life Try MyoHealth now by calling 800-811-9628 to learn how you can receive a one-month supply free. Build lean muscle, improve balance, and build stronger bones with MyoHealth. And when you call, Tridata will give a substantial portion of your order to help support the Line of Fire radio broadcast. Go to Tribeta.com and use promo code BROWN40 in the shopping cart or call 800-811-9628. That's 800-811-9628. So, friends, when, when Rui emailed me last night and was just talking about the results he's seeing, and now adding in mild health is going to be <laughs> just uh, amazing. Uh, I, I know it because I'm, I'm living it out. I said, got to call out. I want to talk about prayer for Israel. And if you're joining us in Israel, there's, there's still some seats left. You can find out on our website more information about the Israel trip. But if you're active, you're going to see dramatic changes. Money back guarantee, right? But you're going to see dramatic changes if you're less active this is going to help slow down the atrophy process going to help preserve muscle help improve balance and overall quality of life uh, maybe later i'll just tell you some of the details of how much money studies has gone into this but exciting thing is with trivita's partnership now 
we're about to blanket the nation with the line of fire. And we're talking about a, a, a transformation in millions of lives by the grace of God, spirit, soul, body. We're expecting it, believing it. So call now. Oh, you get some free books. I think you even get a free shaker uh, for, for, the, for the drink. 800-811-9628. 800-811-9628. Or you can go to Trivita.com and use the code BROWN40. Just put in all the caps, BROWN40. And then let us know how this is working for you. And you can be encouraged that you're helping spread this message around the nation and helping us reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Heruri, our prayers are going to be answered. We will see Israel saved. We will see the nation of America shaken. It is time. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. As always on our Thursday broadcast, we're a day early getting ready for Shabbat Shalom. There it is, Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. We've got a couple of phone lines open. If you'd like to call, now is a great time. Any Jewish-related question of any kind, that's what gets you on the air on a Thursday, 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to our friend Fab in Boston. Welcome to the line Hey, Dr. Brown. Hey. <laughs> is it too early to say Shabbat Shalom? <laughs> well, certain parts of the world is getting closer. Well, we say uh, up here in the Northeast, we, we say it around, well, around this time, around three or four, because the sun is setting, right? But on so a Friday, we kind of do it. Right. Good, good Shabbos is the thing here. Good Shabbos. Right. On a Friday, not on a Thursday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, so. we do it early. <laughs> we do. <All> right. <laughs> we very much look forward to Shabbos. Well, so this is a great show, actually, today. I could talk to you about everything that you've been talking about. I could talk to you about the anti-Semitism of replacement theology, your books and the diet, the whole thing. I can go right into it, but um, I have a focus, and I, yeah. it's kind of a two-part question. Yep. So as Messianics, we know Ben Yosef, Ben David, we we know what this is, and we understand... Uh, I guess we understand the steps, the the Ikvok Mashiach, I guess, the steps of the Messiah, the the representation of the Messiah, maybe like a shadow or a type. How how do you describe to a to a Christian um not really exposed to that? How do you describe like what language would you use in relation to uh, ben Yosef, Ben David, what they mean. And then also the part two is, uh, do you believe, as I believe, I believe this, I don't know if you do, but uh, I want to get your input. Do you believe, you know, in Genesis where it talks about Yosef and the things that he went through, 
I believe that there's still something unfulfilled in that story, that Yeshua has some unfinished business there, and that we see that in the story of Yosef. Do you have that same view? So that's yeah. my two-part question. Great. So for those unfamiliar, uh, traditional Judaism teaches that there will be two Messianic figures at the end of the age, Messiah, son of Joseph, so Mashiach ben Yosef, and Messiah, son of David, Mashiach ben David. Now, when Judaism talks about the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, we're waiting for the Messiah, they mean Messiah, son of David. Yet, in much of Jewish tradition, there is a belief in a second Messianic figure, the Messiah, son of Joseph. And according to Jewish tradition, he will perform various Messianic feats. In other words, he will, he will do a lot of good for, for Israel and even fight the wars of the Lord against the nations, but he's the suffering Messiah. He will die in battle, and Messiah, son of David, will raise him from the dead and then usher in the fullness of the Messianic kingdom. Now, it's not taught exclusively throughout Judaism, but widely taught in many circles. There are some Jewish traditions that say if we are sufficiently righteous, then we won't see Messiah, son of Joseph, only Messiah, son of David. But again, this tradition goes back at least to Talmudic times, and some would argue much earlier. Uh, there's only one prominent passage that explicitly speaks of the death of Messiah, son of Joseph, as having an atoning effect. That's the commentary on Rabbi Moshe ben Alshech of from about 500 years ago. He's a famous preacher of his day to Zechariah 12.10 when he says the death of Messiah, son of Joseph, will be a complete atonement. But everything else just speaks of his suffering. There are many midrashic, homiletical, rabbinic traditions that speak of the suffering of Messiah, son of Joseph. And what we do is say, well, not two different messianic figures, not one who is lowly and abased and another who is exalted, but one who is lowly and abased and is also exalted. As we see at the end, for example, of Isaiah 52, verses 13 to 15, it's the same one who will be highly exalted who's first abased. Or the Talmud in Sanhedrin beginning in 96b begins to ask the question, it speaks of Messiah coming in the clouds of heaven, Daniel 7, or Messiah coming riding on a donkey, Zechariah 9, and if we're righteous and worthy, he'll come in the clouds of heaven. If we're unrighteous, unworthy, he'll come riding on a donkey. No, the Bible says both will happen. So first he mm -hmm. comes riding on a donkey, then he'll come in the clouds of heaven. So even though the parallel is not exact, it's useful in talking to traditional Jews to say it's, it's one Messiah. You do recognize that suffering does tie in with the life of Messiah. There are many traditions about the Messiah suffering, either among his people waiting to be revealed or still in heaven carrying the burden and weight of Israel. We say, yeah, yeah there is suffering, but it's something that happened in, in the first phase of the Messiah's work. And isn't that a Messiah you can relate to? One who suffers for us, one who dies for us, not just the one who comes to rule and conquer, but one who lives among us and feels the pain and suffering, that's, that's our Mashiach, who is both Ben Yosef and Ben David in that regard. Mm -hmm. So going back to Joseph in the Bible, yeah, there, on the one hand, it's a historical account. This is what happened with Joseph and his brothers. But it also speaks in a prophetic way, in a typological way, where we see that Joseph is rejected by his own family, Israel. He is then sold into slavery in Egypt, where he becomes the savior of the Gentile world, so to say, right? So just to expand homiletically on this, 
He becomes the savior of Egypt, but of the, the surrounding nations, he, he's now the one looked to. And his own brothers don't recognize him when they first see him. It's only on the second trip that he is revealed to them. So you can say there is typology there, not direct prophecy, but is the second time around that Joseph's brothers will recognize him. Also, they didn't recognize him because he was, he's speaking Egyptian and he looks Egyptian. He's got the whole garb on and the look, so they didn't recognize him. So some would say that Yeshua of the Bible has had his real image to the Jewish people distorted by much of church history or by certain church traditions that separated Yeshua from his people. So it's the second time around when those things are removed that the brothers will recognize who he is and then weep in repentance and reconciliation. So I, I do believe there is spiritual fulfillment yet to come, and I do touch on that in volume three of Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus, where I talk about Messianic prophecy in the Torah. All right? Awesome. Wonderful. One more question. Are you the firstborn of your family? No. I've got an older sister, three and a half years older than me. Okay. So do people call you rabbi ever? Only by mistake, because I'm not a rabbi. I was called that okay. the other day, a few days ago, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a rabbi. I, I'm personally not keen on the term rabbi in our Messianic circles, only because I don't want to give the impression to the traditional Jewish community that we're claiming that this person has traditional ordination or is a scholar in rabbinic literature, et cetera, et cetera. However, as the leader of a congregation, what are Jewish people going to call that person but rabbi, right? So it's, it's a very natural right. thing. But no, I'm not, I'm not an ordained rabbi, either in traditional model. Obviously, I couldn't be as a follower of Yeshua, uh, nor have I ever sought out rabbinic ordination. I am an ordained minister of the gospel, uh, which technically makes me reverend. But no, I don't use the reverend title for sure. Okay, yeah, I, I've never heard you use the reverend title, but I always think of you as like a rabbi, but it's probably, you know, just the way we were raised, you know, the, yeah. how we think. Yeah, so, so in an honorific way as a teacher, sure. Hey, God bless you. Yeah. Appreciate the call. All right, Dr. Brown, thank you so much. Bless sure you. Thing. Bless you. All right, 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to George in Jacksonville, Florida. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Okay. Hey, uh, Dr. Brown, thanks for uh, taking my call. Sure. And um, my question for you is, as I was watching a document or a symposium, if you will, on the YouTube channel Jubilee, and it was anti-feminist versus feminist. Mm -hmm. And I got to a part of the program where a woman who was uh, Jewish, she says that the Torah, when they get to the part, there's the topic is, um, does trans... Um, do trans women belong in the whole discussion of feminism? And she says she's on the side of being a feminist, saying, well, of course they do. And she said that even in the Torah, that there are eight genders noted in that, and which kind of like really surprised me. And, of course, uh, uh, Uncle Wikipedia uh, says uh, also there's like six or eight or something like that. My question is for you, Dr. Brown, is that true? And really, and if that's true, how should we as Christians and approach that idea in our study? And then also when we're talking to other people who are trans, who are, and we're sharing the gospel with them, and they bring this, this, 
this very right. fact that she's like, yeah. Yeah, happy to answer. Number one, it's 100% false. The Torah only speaks of male, female. There, there are no other categories of gender in the Torah. Zachar, Nukeva, male and female. That's, those are the only genders, the only sexes in the Torah, period. End of subject. However, in Talmudic literature, in rabbinic literature, hundreds of years after uh, the, the Bible, uh, there are descriptions of different biological abnormalities. So I wrote an article last year for the Daily Wire. Uh, Does the Talmud teach that Abraham and Sarah were non-binary? And I mentioned that Rabbi Daniel Bogard, who was very, very liberal reform rabbi, uh, posted uh, a nine-part thread that went viral on Twitter. Uh, and he makes the claims Abraham and Sarah, the founders of the Jewish people, were both intersex, complete nonsense. The ancient Jewish text, quote, described six genders, sexes, not two. Um, that Adam was originally created as androgynous, so both male and female biologically. God is non-binary. Etc. Other claims that are really bizarre and not worth not worth discussing here. But in in short, uh, number one, the Talmud does speak about these different gender distinctions having to do with biological abnormalities because it's trying to figure out under Jewish law where someone fits. In other words, if you have a biological abnormality, which we all agree do exist. And there are people who are intersex, again, biological abnormalities, then where do they fit in law, male or female? So I'll, I'll come back, expand on that on the other side of the break. Stay right here. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Michael Brown, let's get back to George in Jacksonville. So first thing... Again, the, the Torah, the whole Bible, only know male and female. Every law is, which is dealing with men or women is unambiguous, males, females. There is a prohibition in Deuteronomy 22 against a man wearing female garments or the reverse. It's detestable to the Lord Toavat Adonai in, in Hebrew. Uh, not only so, the Hebrew language divides everything into masculine or feminine. You know, even a, a, a computer or a table or a microphone, every, everything is gendered in that regard, but it just comes back from the fact that there, there's two categories, only male, female. That's first thing. That's in the Bible, unambiguously, without exception. Second thing, what about someone who is intersex, meaning their biological abnormalities? Maybe there's a chromosomal right. abnormality. Maybe they have dual genitalia or ambiguous genitalia or whatever it is. So the Talmud being so focused on legal application is going to ask these questions. So as I mentioned in the article on Daily Wire, um, if, uh, if, if a 
does the person emit sperm? Well, then they should be treated as a biological male under the law. Does the person menstruate? Well, then they should be treated as a biological female because it may not be evident to the eye. So those are the different categories. It has nothing to do with a biological female identifying as a male or a biological male identifying as a female. Absolutely, that has zero to do with transgender identity. Zero. As for Adam allegedly being androgynous because God creates Adam, male and female, there, there are some Talmudic traditions that sp speak of him as if he was created back to back like Siamese twins, one side being male, the other side being female. But does, the Bible doesn't say God split him in two, does it? It says he takes out of his no. rib or out of his side and out of that forms the woman. The woman was not already there. So even, even that is just, you get endless opinions and homiletical interpretations in the Talmud. So you're going to find everything in that respect. But no, it, it is what's being said is bogus, is being misused, is being misunderstood. And that's why among traditional Jews, you've never had a transgender movement based on the Talmud because it's complete misapplication. All right? Gotcha. Okay, okay so one quick question for you. Yeah. Yeah, is uh, when you go to Jerusalem, are you going to pay a call to your good friend, Rabbi Tovia Singer? <laughs> I say that in jest, of course. Yeah, hey, listen, I, w I, would love to di I would love to dialogue with Rabbi Singer privately, as we used to before he cut me off. Uh, of course, welcome uh, a debate for the whole world to watch and see live. I think it would be very educational. Uh, so my door has been open yeah. for many, many years, decades for that. But thanks for the joke. I appreciate it. Maybe I'll run into him providentially. That would be wonderful. God bless you. That'd be great. Thank right. you. Sure. All right. Let's. Um, oh, let me just mention this quickly. You know, I'm not a medical doctor or scientist. Whoops. That's, that's my bad. That's my bad. I didn't hang up the phone there. Um, but you know, I'm not a medical doctor. My doctorate is in Semitic languages. My doctoral dissertation was on the Hebrew word for healing, right? You know that. Uh, but I'm not a medical doctor. We bring medical doctors on to, to talk about medical things. But as, I, as I've been reading uh, about amino acids, just trying to understand with myohealth and trying to think, okay, Psalm 139, he was very interesting about God making it. They're fearfully and wonderfully made. There are different ways to translate it. But it's, it's the more I learn about the human body, the little that I know, I'm blown away. And then as I started eating healthily, made the radical change eight and a half plus years ago, I said, wow, you're pouring healthy stuff in the body. You get these amazing results. That I can tell you as a living witness. As I travel around the world, people are blown away by the energy and strength. And, the, and, and when my friend Rui talked about me blowing him away in workouts, that's because we're not just sitting there pumping iron. I mean, we're doing a heavy cardio thing. If we we're just pumping iron, he'd pump the iron with me on top of it, okay? just to be clear there. But I, I mean, I, I'm blown away by the benefits. And as I learned, it's like, wow, when you eat the stuff that God put in the ground, right? And you eat this, it's amazing the way it works with you against disease and all this. So the amino acids and the, the, the mild health supplement that we've been featuring this week, we'll do it one more day tomorrow. And that's the end of our, of our health emphasis, but our partnership with Trivita just beginning. So I, I just want to share this with you. This is Dr. Robert Wolf. A PhD has over 579 peer-reviewed original research articles. Uh, so the, the formula used in MyoHealth 
with support of over 25 years of research, over $20 million in research funded by NIH, USA, Department of Defense, USA Olympic Committee, and National Space Biomedical Institute with 24 human studies to develop the formula and validate its outcome. You'll get a free book about the building blocks of life, amino acids, when, when you order this week. Uh, so th this is amino acids, again, not my words and understanding, but from scholars, experts, they're the fundamental building blocks of life. So we need them in order to live. They're not made by the body, but they come in from the food that we eat. Now, if you eat the way I do, which is hardly any meat, so you, you, you have to make sure you're getting adequate protein, this is a great way to do it. Then as you get older, you, you have these more deficiencies. So this is the stuff that will energize, increase lean muscle. And then with that, that, those are things that fight against obesity. These are things that work against atrophy of muscles. J just a few snippets here. Um, essentially, amino acids not made by the body but must be obtained from the balance and abundance of food sources. Muscles are the reservoir of amino acids serving the rest of your body. Muscles play a key role in maintaining the plasma levels of amino acids in the absence of absorption of dietary amino acids from digested protein. Muscles will sacrifice the cells that you can live this is what muscle atrophy is. Your cells and vital organs must have the essential amino acids and can't atrophy, so muscles do. So this supplement, if you're active, wonderful. Do it before you work. If you do it before and after, you'll be blown away, as I've been. But otherwise, if you're active, check this out, all right? Tell them Dr. Brown sent you. If you're, if you're not active, it's important as well because this is going to work against the, the atrophy, the natural processes of not being active, especially all you that are getting older. Yeah, it happens. So one more time, 800-811-9628. Find out how you get a free month supply of Mile Health, some free books as well. 800-811-9628 or go to Trivita.com, T-R-I-V-I-T-A, Trivita.com. And use the code BROWN40. Put it in all caps, BROWN40. All right. Got time for another call. Scott in Louisiana. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. Thank you so much for taking my call. Sure. Um, so I have a question. I work with a lot of different church denominations, and we love Israel. We love the Jewish people. Um, and I guess the big thing I have is in some of the churches I work with, they have like that dispensationalist kind of view of Israel um, to the point of sometimes they have a different eschatological destiny um, than the church. And so, um, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm like an amillennialist kind of, but uh, in the sense of that, when, when you in the Old Testament, when you look at Israel, you're looking at a monarchy, some people say like theocratic monarchy, mm -hmm. um, that God is specifically addressing a geopolitical nation, an ethnic group of people. Mm -hmm. So then when you come into the New Testament and you have the New Covenant, you know, which I, I kind of use the somewhat analogy of like updating your iPhone to a big new update. There's a huge update to this New Covenant thing that people can either partner with or not partner with. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, the church, which are also referred to as the children of Abraham, come in, but they're this multi-ethnic, multi-linguistic, uh, you know, international group of people from every social economic level possible. Mm -hmm. So how do you navigate, and I'm really trying, I mean, I'm asking you this, 
yeah. sincerely, not like a gotcha question. Because no, no. So how do you navigate when I have people who are talking about prophetic words for Israel that are yet to be fulfilled? And so then I look at the geopolitical nation of Israel today, and I'm like, I mean, who knows where we're all mixed mud now. With nah, it's, it's, not that, of, it's not that mixed. It's, it's always been a little mixed, Scott. And I can tell by your tone you're not trying to ask a, a, a got, gotcha question. Uh, but it, it was always a mix, but there was still a, a, a clear people. There have been a people who've been persecuted as Jews for centuries, who've been exiled from countries as Jews for centuries, and whom God brought back to the land as Jews. So even though there's more ethnic mixture over the centuries, the fact is it's still an identifiable people. Satan's been able to identify them to try to wipe them out. You know, there, there's no ambiguity there. When they've been exiled from different nations, there's been no ambiguity when they came back to the land, this is a prayer they had been praying for centuries and centuries. No ambiguity there. Uh, let me encourage you, if you don't have my book, Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, get a copy of it. Make sure you get the 2019 edition. It'll be a real eye-opener for you. Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, 2019 edition. And I have several chapters that go through verse after verse in the Bible saying, who does this apply to? But as soon as we get off the phone, because my show's ending momentarily, and, and I'll revisit this, Scott. Start reading in Acts 3, beginning in verse 19, and notice that Peter says that the promises that God gave to Israel will be fulfilled when Israel repents. Ask yourself where Jesus is returning, and he is. He's returning to a location. Acts 1, Mount of Olives, Jerusalem. Why? Because there are promises yet to be fulfilled. So the ecclesia, the body of Messiah, that's all Jews and Gentiles who are saved in this age. We are together in his ecclesia, in his, in his family, in his church. But there remain promises for Israel in a millennial kingdom on the earth that will be fulfilled just because God keeps his promises. It's great questions, but I think our hands are stained with blood. will help sort a lot of this out for you. God bless, friends. Back with you for your Q&A tomorrow.